From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Regardless of what holiday you celebrate this time of year, chances are your presents have all been opened. But the Gators hope to serve up a final treat before leaving this decade behind, one loaded with vitamin C. On today's show, we'll gather around the fire with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and break down every angle leading up to the Capital One Orange Bowl, a tough afternoon in South Florida for men's basketball, another piece of hardware for track superstar Grant Holloway, and memorable bowl games in the PAT. Then, linebacker David Reese joins us to discuss the matchup against Virginia, reaching the end of the college road, and the legacy he hopes to leave behind. But first, given the number of high-profile athletes who've made the decision to sit out postseason games in recent years, some have made the determination that non-playoff bowl games aren't that important. But as Florida prepares for their second straight New Year's Six matchup, we began our chat with Chris and Scott by throwing that notion out the door along with scraps of torn bows and wrapping paper. Yeah, I mean, you're playing in the Orange Bowl. I mean, you got a chance to win the Orange Bowl. Uh, They haven't won a lot of Orange Bowls. They haven't been in a lot of Orange Bowls. It's pretty self-explanatory stuff. I mean, doing this as long as I'm doing it and and covering as much uh, football as I've covered, um, whenever a college team wins its bowl game, there's just something right about the season. The season, you go out, you go in the offseason – uh, not just feeling good about yourself, but you feel like some kind of you have some element of momentum. And sometimes that exists even if you really don't. But I would think if Florida goes down and takes care of its business against a Virginia team that I'm sure they're going to go there with a lot of respect for. Uh, I, I know there, there are probably a lot of fans that think they're going to go down and trounce them. And, and, and they very well might because they're they are prohibitive favorites, double digit favorites in this game, obviously. But I mean, if you get into a bowl game and you don't want to be there or you're anticipating going off season, you got some distractions on your mind, guys turning pro. I saw that after the 2012 season. Um, I think no fewer than three or four Florida football players announced they were turning pro in the locker room after it. That's not the venue to do that, especially not after getting destroyed like they did by Louisville in that game. I think it was a game they were out pretty early, out of pretty early. Jeff Driscoll got a tip pick six out of the box. And one team looked like they were really excited to be there. The other team didn't. And frankly, the fan bases were the same. Um, I think Florida's fan base is in a really good place right now. And I think the Gators are in a really good place right now. And the coaches helped put uh, both of those uh, elements there. Um, I'm sure he's going to talk to him about a faceless, nameless opponent. Uh, Virginia may not get a lot of fans excited, but uh, the coaching staff is going to sell this game, go in there and win this game and exit the season to the, I believe they'll use the term, Scott, Gator Standard, I believe may come up between now and uh, <laughs> <I think so. laughs> between now and when uh, the, that Orange Bowl kicks off on uh, the night of December 30th. You know, it's interesting, too, because, Chris, you mentioned that Sugar Bowl, and, and you do see this phenomenon sometimes of teams that are you know prohibitive, double-digit favorites that end up face-planning in these games because there is a sense they don't want to be there. And, and in recent years, it seems like that's often the teams that were really close to getting into the playoff or really close to being in that national championship picture, and then they finish just outside of it. You could look at Michigan last year. 
um, Alabama when they played Utah in the Sugar Bowl some years ago. Alabama, they played Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago. Um, so I guess if you look at it that way, Florida would seem to be in a better place because really for the entire month of November on, they weren't in the position to be in the playoff. They knew that after the Georgia game. So you'd like to think that Florida will not have that attitude and also knowing that they've got a full deck of cards save for CJ Henderson. Let's see how Alabama responds to being the Citrus Bowl. And you mentioned Georgia getting close. Let's see how Georgia responds to being in the in the Sugar Bowl. Um, uh, I would think Georgia would be excited to go to New Orleans and play in an elite bowl game like that. But uh, yeah, they did get close and didn't get where they, you know, they talked about where they wanted to be. Uh, to your point, I think Florida has pretty much known that they were playing from behind and that, you know, ever since they lost that uh, Georgia game, that a chance to play in the in the 14 playoff was a, a, a you know, a, a prohibitive long shot at best. So um, Dan Mullen, I always say, I mean, he, he's got the pulse of his locker room and he is uh, he, he has command of those guys. And uh, a lot of the stuff that they say on the podium and say after games are a lot of the same things that that he talks about um, in the post game and stuff. And they're they're all on the same page. And I, I fully anticipate Florida going down and and playing very well in this game against Virginia. I don't think they're going to see this as some consolation kind of uh, game. Um, 11 wins is a big deal, and I think that's something you can sell not only uh, in your locker room, but you obviously sell that to potential players um, down the line. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's something, the difference of going from uh, 10 wins to 11 wins or 12 wins, that's something that Dan Mullen, uh, stressed early on, even during a uh, camp uh, after one of the practices, he kind of stressed to the team, look, there's a, he's been around teams who have won it all. And uh, winning 10 games in his first year, that was a big accomplishment. But he knew going from that to 11 or 12 is a whole different step. But I think that's something that you know he can uh, challenge this team with going into the Orange Bowl because they win down in Miami. They finish 11 and 2. And that's a uh, another sign of progress and taking that one of those big steps that Dan Mullen you know, stressed months ago to this team uh, as they try to take more and more of those in the future. Well, and bowl games are often about two things. It's both about the guys who are kind of you know having their swan song, their final outing. And about those on the move who are showing why they should be featured guys the next season. So I want to first talk about the guys who we're going to be seeing for the last time. Uh, which Gator or Gators, if there's a few that pop out, are you most interested to see perform on this stage one last time wearing the orange and blue? Well, I mean, a couple of longstanding guys. I mean, David Reese has been a, a great player to deal with. Just a steady influence in the locker room and on the field. You like to see those guys go out with the victory. Uh, he's been the kind of player that, you know, any program would be glad to have in their, uh, in their locker room. John Grenard's a, a different kind of story in a way that we only got to know him for really a year, uh, his final season. And yet it's been a great season. It's been fun watching him. And, uh, he's primed, I think, for a big game considering his future, uh, you know, in the draft and, uh, so I'm looking forward to, to those two guys and offensively one guy. I've been waiting for him to have a breakout game all year. He certainly had a breakout run against Auburn. And, uh, you know, LaMichael Pirine has been quite down the stretch, but that's just the way uh, the team's built. Not necessarily they're, they're not a power running team like uh, some people envisioned at the start of the year with uh, Pirine coming back for a senior year. 
but it'd be uh, it'd be nice to see him go out with a good game. Well, I, I'll, I'll second the John Grenard uh, motion because I imagine that guy's going to be playing with his hair on fire because he's been playing with his hair on fire all season long. I mean, what an incredible year he's had. I would think also Jabari Zaniga because this is a guy who's showing up on draft boards and uh, he may be showing up on draft boards uh, at a lot lower place within where maybe he was anticipated because he just hasn't played since uh, I believe, what did he have a cup of coffee in the LSU game, maybe in the Georgia game? I, <laughs> I, I get it mixed up, but uh, uh, he still has a chance to uh, make a statement with regards to his future. And uh, I would think uh, Jabari and John Grenard dreaming about uh, getting some shots in on, on Bryce Perkins. And, and they're going to have to be really locked in because that guy is a big playmaker. He's he, he runs to make plays. He runs for yards and he runs to, to better his situation in terms of throwing the ball downfield. So they're paramount in this game if, the, if they're going to control that Virginia offense. Again, I said on the, the last podcast or the one before that when this bowl game was announced, this is a guy who's capable of, of having 400, 500 yards of total offense by himself. It's been, he's been doing it all year long for that team. And uh, those two guys uh, coming off the edge are really going to uh, be a difference of whether or not uh, Florida can contain Virginia's offense or not. Yeah, and those are two guys, too, who have a chance to you know show out a little bit. As we saw last year uh, when Chauncey Gardner-Johnson announced before the Peach Bowl that he was leaving, but he would be playing the bowl game, which was in stark contrast to all of the Michigan players who sat it out. He then went, had two picks, huge game, and now even this past weekend – uh, really doing well with, with the New Orleans Saints going to the playoffs. So uh, let's see if these guys use that as a springboard. It could be kind of the antidote to all the players who sit out because they think it'll hurt their ability to get drafted. Let's look at more guys who are using it as a springboard. Um, I want to talk now about the, the guys who are next up, so to speak. Oftentimes in bowls, there's younger players who've, you know, they've had really strong years. And then during that bowl practice stretch, because you got a long stretch in between games, they can really get to another level and you sort of see them on display for what's going to be coming up the following season. Which younger players do you guys expect to maybe have that type of game where fans will be saying their names throughout the offseason? Well, Adam, to touch on what you just mentioned about players leaving early, you know, C.J. Henderson did make that decision to leave early and to skip the bowl game to start preparing for the draft. So that means uh, Kyrie Elam, he's going to get an extended look at the other cornerback spot opposite Marco Wilson. And certainly we've seen Elam a lot this season because Henderson had some injuries, and it's just the way the, uh, the season's unfolded. Uh, but, you know, what a big moment for him. He's a... Uh, He's from South Florida. He's the nephew of former Gator Matt Elam. And then, um, you know, he's had a good season. He's a talented player. And uh, this is a big moment for him. As Chris mentioned a moment ago, Bryce Perkins is definitely a dangerous playmaker. He can do it, you know, on the ground or through the air. Uh, so these bowl games, Virginia has got nothing to lose at all in this matchup. Being a, I think they started as a 13 and a half point underdog. I don't know where it is now, but you got to believe that they're going to take some chances down the field with Bryce Perkins. Uh, and, you know, that means probably if it's Marco Wilson back there on the edge on one side and uh, Kyrie Elam on the other, uh, Elam might be the guy to try to pick on more. So uh, I'm looking for him uh, to have an opportunity to really, uh, you know, maybe make his mark uh, a little bit more heading into next season. Uh, offensively, uh, you know, we haven't spoken about those receivers who are leaving, uh, Josh Hammond and Tyree Cleveland and Van Jefferson and um, Freddie Swain. So a, a young guy 
who could step up and uh, maybe make some things happen is Jacob Copeland. We saw flashes of that this year, but with those four guys leaving, Copeland is one of the players on this team who is going to be asked immediately to produce more next year to have a larger role, and uh, it's a it's a chance for him maybe to start uh, start that process a little early if he uh, can get out on the field and make some plays. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, and this is, you know, Scott just mentioned a, a pretty good group of receivers. One of those who guys who's, who he did not mention uh, is Trayvon Grimes. Trayvon Grimes is from Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas, so this is a home game for him. So I would imagine, uh, I guess the same thing can be said for uh, for Josh Hammond as well. I mean, he's, he's from down in South Florida, also from Hallandale. But uh, I would think um, Trayvon Grimes will have a chance to kind of assert himself a little bit as maybe the heir apparent to be in the, the next go-to guy in this receiving core. Um, I imagine he'll be pretty excited about uh, going back down to South Florida and playing in front of a bunch of uh, his fans. So that's the final word on the uh, the football version of the Orange Bowl. On the basketball side, they played in the Orange Bowl Classic down in Sunrise and uh, Chris, we talked about it last week. We knew it was going to be a, an interesting matchup against a, a mid-major that is traditionally very, very strong and was really good last year. Um, and, you know, as we talked about the great game Florida had against Providence, it, it did not translate. Got off to a really, really bad start against Utah State and ultimately down the stretch just could not make the plays. So a frustrating way to uh, go into the Christmas break for sure. Yeah, well, as bad as the start was, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a great start for Utah either. I think Florida had two points through almost nine minutes, and Utah State had seven. Um, Florida still led by six at two different occasions in the second half, and just it's going to be really, really hard to survive thirty-two percent shooting for a game. I mean, they had not shot that poorly uh, since the fourth game of the year, I believe, in winning six of seven games. Um, they had not shot less than 43% overall. Now they had some bad three point shooting games, obviously, but this is the second worst shooting performance of the season, right? Uh, not quite as terrible as the 28% they had against FSU, but 32.3 was pretty bad. It was 35.5 in the second half compared to 50% for, uh, um, Utah State. And again, you mentioned them. They, they are a good team. They're a very good team. They're, uh, they got a lot of older guys, guys that go on, uh, those Mormon missions. And are two and three years older than their uh, than their classification in terms of, I mean Sam Merrill I believe is 25 years old and married and uh, he was two time uh, Mountain West Conference Player of the Year and he sure certainly played like it in that game, made some huge plays in the second half. Justin Bean is a another mission guy, a junior I believe, but I mean fifth leading rebounder in the country. He had nine rebounds in the game and some of their better players made bigger plays down the stretch. Whereas I'm looking at the box score here, you're talking about, uh, Kerry Blackshear, who's pretty damn good, 22 and 10. Uh, he was 15 to 17 from the free throw line, but he was three of 14 from the field. Keontae Johnson, three of 13, Noah Locke, three of 12. I mean, you're going to have a really, really hard time when your three leading scores go nine for 39 from the floor. So, uh, again, Poor shooting reared its head. Didn't surprise me at all that, that they didn't win the game. I, we knew you talked about Utah State being a good team. And again, these games right before Christmas, this isn't making excuses. It's a game right before Christmas for Ohio's, for, for, excuse me, for Utah State also. But I mean, they, they're historically, it's just, they're hard games because they're really hard to get the attention, the full attention of the players. You, you don't know if you have it or not. And, uh, young mistakes, some defensive mistakes. Some really poor shot selection, especially in the second half. I was on the bus on the way back. They had the game on on, on the monitors uh, in the, in the bus on the way up the turnpike from uh, from sunrise, and they were just counting the bad shots. 
that were replayed again during a uh, film the next day. They were back at practice. We got home at, um, I want to say 11, 10 30. They were back at practice at 10 the next day before adjourning them for Christmas and a good 90 minute film session, bulk of it, which was about shot selection. So back to the drawing board. They sent them home for Christmas. Be back in action, obviously, this weekend for the, uh, the game against Long Beach State. But, uh, Next up, a game against Alabama that'll open the SEC season. Uh, you start to slate a clean, but uh, you got to start winning games. I mean, they're seven and four. Uh, I think they'll be Long Beach State, so let's say eight and four. And you got to win over Xavier, decent team. You got to win over Miami. You're going to be a, a lo- middling, the lower side uh, Miami team. Those are your those are your best wins to date, I would say. Um, so you got to work on that resume. They have played the hardest schedule in the SEC, one of the hardest schedules in the country, but doesn't really impress people at the end of the year until you get some of those wins. So uh, there'll be plenty of opportunities for wins, but you do got to capitalize on those opportunities eventually. The one guy who's been taking advantage of opportunities ever since he set foot on campus is Grant Holloway, who uh, this past week won the Bowerman Award, which is essentially the uh, the Heisman Trophy of track and field. And boy, the, the sky is the limit for this guy, Scott. And certainly everyone's looking to see what he does coming up in Tokyo because there's a good chance he's going to be one of the big stars for the U.S. track team. Uh, yeah, there's a great chance of that, Adam. And, uh, you know, he's really going to go down already with just what he's done at Florida as one of the greatest athletes in school history i mean you look at the national champions uh championships that he's won and the school records that he set and just the other accomplishments uh you know on the international stage you, he's the world champion right now uh in the uh the 60 hurdles of uh, won that in late summer after being the champion at the NCAA finals so uh, just a very distinguished career and uh he certainly was the deserving uh, recipient of the Bowerman Award. As you said, that's the highest uh, honor in college track and field uh, for men and women. And, you know, Grant Holloway, not only has he just, he's done what he came to Florida to do. I, I mean, I think athletically he's probably exceeded what would have been fairly expected, but he's just been a, a tremendous uh, ambassador, if you will, for the track program. Uh, for the Gators, uh, heavily involved on campus and all kinds of uh, student-athlete functions. Uh, and if you meet Grant Holloway, I mean, you like him. He, he's one of those guys that what you see in these videos, Adam, uh, you know, the personality, that's the way he is 24-7. And uh, he's, he's going to be missed by, uh, by uh, Mike Holloway for sure. Yeah, he is a tremendous guy. He's been on this podcast multiple times. Encourage people to go back and listen to his story and then expect to hear it a lot more when he's on the world stage coming up in about uh, six or seven months. Um, turning our attention to the PAT, since we got started today by talking about bowl games, I want to do that some more. Uh, we have about 40 bowl games now in 2019-2020, uh, in but back in the day, they were a little more exclusive and there were some great games you would see that you know people really focused on. I want to know for you guys over your, your many years, the most memorable bowl game that you've covered and why. Most of my bowl game experience, Adam, has been uh, covering Florida. I mean, when I was in Tampa as an NFL writer, I, they sent me to a couple Outback Bowls. I don't remember any classics per se. I mean, you know, the biggest uh, stakes bowl game I ever covered, and it certainly was a, a big deal to most of the people listening to this podcast i doubt anybody from uh, any fsu fans are listening to this right now but uh what florida did in the sugar bowl obviously after the 96 season was as special as any 
bowl game I've been attended. I did uh, do the Fiesta Bowl national championship game when Notre Dame beat West Virginia. Um, that was a one-sided affair pretty much also uh, in Lou Holtz's um, lone national championship. But uh, the, just the circumstances, uh, you know, don't have to, like, you know, go over them now. Just the whole – to lose to your rival on the last game of the season when you're number one and then for the circumstances to happen and the stars to align for a rematch against your rival – for the national championship, probably something that's that's never going to happen again. I, I remember having a conversation in a bar with somebody about some of the greatest revenge moments in sports history, like all time. And, you know, he thought we were talking about you know, the Red Sox coming back from three nothing to beat the Yankees. Finally. Right. That's got to be one of them. Right. Thought about Sugar Ray Leonard beating Roberto Duran in the no mass no mass fight, or uh, yeah, maybe Muhammad Ali coming back and winning the title like he had uh, beaten Leon Spinks the second time. But I can't imagine anything being sweeter than Florida beating Florida State in the Sugar Bowl under the circumstances that presented themselves. So um, I would think that's in the history of sports. That's one of those circumstances. But in terms of my history of covering bowl games. Uh, a really big deal, a fun game to write about in the run-up to it because Spurrier talks so much trash about FSU <laughs> and the hard-hitting and stuff Stuff came out of his mouth that no coach uh, ever would say about another team. He didn't care. It was great. And, uh, and then afterwards, he was, uh, let's say, just as verbose in his gloating of a national championship by, I believe the score is 52 to 20. I think it's uh, ingrained in a lot of people's heads that are listening to this podcast. I mean, that's one that I certainly remember. Uh, I did not cover, though, unfortunately. Uh, I've covered quite an array in a pretty short time. I didn't start covering college sports until really full-time in the mid-2000s. And I, I once covered the International Bowl in Toronto. I've covered the Birmingham Bowl in Birmingham. Those were good games, man, weren't they? Shootouts. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if. They'll be making documentaries on any of those <laughs> games one day. Although the Birmingham Bowl had a unique uh, twist with Adam Lane's uh, pants getting a little That's dirty. right, yes. And, of course, my International Bowl had a little twist. And I remember looking out in the morning of the game, and it was pouring snow in Toronto and ended up being Jim Levitt's last game. And then the, the trip to San Francisco also had a twist. I remember uh, it was Jeff Bowden's final game after he announced that he was leaving as FSU's offensive coordinator. And this was before they've had a streak of them. But back then, it was the first moment that FSU had ever been close to possibly a losing season. They were 6-6 six and six in that game. And, of course, uh, Drew Weatherford was the quarterback, had a great game. They beat UCLA, and they win the game. Jeff Bowden sends Jeff Bowden out with the win. But I think if I had to pinpoint one that is most memorable, it certainly fits this audience. But, again, some of our audience has mixed reviews on Urban Meyer. I did cover Urban Meyer's last bowl game at Florida, uh, you know, down in Tampa at the Outback Bowl. Uh, it was in my first three months in this role. And, you know, we knew at that time, obviously, it was his last game because he'd already made the announcement a couple weeks earlier. And, you know, they're playing Joe Paterno, Penn State, and, Urban uh, was very uh, – he worked up to Joe Paterno a lot on the in the coaching life and uh, in his background. And, uh, they beat them uh, down in Tampa pretty handily. Actually, Ahmad Black picked off a pass in the late in the game, took it 80 yards for a touchdown. 
sealed the win. You know, in terms of Gator Bowl games, that probably is the one that has stood out the most. Although, you know, last year's the victory in Atlanta was probably his most pleasant one because uh, you felt like Florida was finally knocking back at the door to get uh, to where they want to go. And uh, it was a nice victory over Michigan. And uh, so, you know, those are, uh, I'm kind of going around the horn there with you. I don't, I don't have one as great as Chris, unfortunately, in terms of a huge impactful game. Mine are, are more of like the redheaded stepchild ball games. <laughs> But it was a nice tour nonetheless, and certainly you guys will be uh, taking a nice tour of South Florida. Miami Gardens, to be exact, coming up when Florida plays Virginia in the Orange Bowl. We encourage fans to check out FloridaGators.com for all of your coverage leading up to the game, and also get it on Twitter, at GatorScott, at GatorsChris, for the latest updates. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much, and uh, have a nice time on South Beach, okay? All right, thanks, Adam. I'll see you there. See you, Adam. It's expected that players will become leaders as they continue moving up in both age and experience, but sometimes a Benjamin Button-like effect emerges that reverses the process. David Reese fits that bill, having been called on as a true freshman to step up and lead the defense when the injury bug ravaged Florida's linebackers. Nearly four years later, Reese's orange and blue odyssey is coming to a close, so to begin our career-spanning chat, we asked him how it felt coming to the finish line. Um, it's bittersweet, you know. You know, it's all family. It's a family atmosphere. It's all just playing with your brothers, doing the things you love to do, you know, on a daily basis. So I'm going to miss it. Um, definitely going to miss the college experience. But, you know, I, I feel like I accomplished my goals here. I have no regrets, you know. Um, I got my degree. You know, I performed well on the field. I, I was blessed with the opportunity to play uh, since my freshman year. You know, this thing just all went by quick. So, you know, the relationships that I built, I'm blessed to have those. When you think back over your career, and this could be college, this could be even growing up, who would you say has been the biggest influence on your career and why? I got to get the props from my entire family, really, man. I have a huge support system. You know, even though that I'm from Detroit, Michigan, uh, they always find a way to come every game. Shoot, I had over like 50, 60 people at Kentucky this year. Wow. Yeah, my family is like my everything, and they, you know, they support me well. and you know, They always got my back no matter what I do, so I try to, you know, uh, carry the name on the back of my jersey well and, you know, continue to hold up the Gator standard also. How difficult has it been being so far from home? And was it something that you thought would be maybe tougher than it was? Or how have you how have you sort of grown by being so far away throughout college? Thank God for airlines because I come home, you know, <laughs> not when I feel like thoroughly. So when we get a chance to, I'm coming home just like everybody else. So, And, you know, the relationships I feel out here, I love them. And, you know, I feel like Florida is my new home. And I, I could definitely, you know, live here for the rest of my life. So, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of good advice over, over the course of your career and things have helped you along the way. What's maybe the, the best or most important advice you can remember getting at some point that, that led you to where you are now? Something little that just always stuck with me you know, through tough times and good times. And it's just don't ever let someone steal your joy. You know, if you have joy in something, uh, no man deserves to really take that from you. So don't let anyone else steal your joy. I, I, that's one I'll leave with. And, uh, Coach Shannon taught me that my freshman year um, in college. And speaking of your freshman year, I'm sure when you came in, you weren't anticipating having to be a leader so quickly, but because of injuries to Jared Davis, to Alex Anzalone, you all of a sudden were were thrust into that role. Can you just talk about 
how that shaped you having such early important experience and the way that those guys supported you as you went through it? Oh, it was great, man. Those are unbelievable people doing unbelievable things right now on the next level. And those guys, just like like you said, they supported me every step of the way. They made sure I uh, got prepared during the off season. Uh, I just had to compete and work hard and give them everything I got. And, you know, they really took me under their wing and made me one of them. So uh, it was a blessing to have that early. And I feel like I want to get the same thing back two linebackers that are uh, a class under me, like Ventrell and James and, you know, Bernie's two classes under me. But those guys and Cedric, uh, those guys are really hard workers as well. And it's good to pass the baton to them. And, you know, it's their time to, uh, you know, keep the standard going. What do you remember about when you were in that position? Because I'm sure for a freshman, it's, you're not expecting that. All of a sudden, you're being looked at as someone to lead the defense from that middle linebacker spot. How, how did you grow into that and how did it affect you? You know, I've always been blessed to be a natural leader, man, and um, that's just a role that, you know, I was ready for, I was prepared for. I always played quarterback and I always led my high school teams and little league teams, and it was just the next step of football, and I, I you always got to remind yourself, no matter what, football is football. You know how people, the critics, and everybody just try to make football seem so much harder, but uh, no matter what you are, what size you are, the game still um, stays the same, even though people are, get a little bit more athletic or uh, faster, bigger, stronger, or whatever, but football is still football, so. You mentioned Jared and Alex and, and what they're doing in the NFL. Uh, how much have you been able to keep up with them, and, and what do they share about their experiences at, at the next level? Um, you know, they're the type of people that, just, like I said, they, they do everything right. You know, they take care of the body. They say that's the most important thing, uh, taking care of your body. You know, those are the type of guys that never miss meetings. Um, you know, they want to stay healthy. They do everything right for their team. You know, training and how you really can't just fall off from, from what you just know uh, growing up in college because he said a lot of people do and, you know, they take the NFL for granted and, you know, little keys like that. You mentioned some of the, the linebackers below you that you've helped mentor as well. What do you think you've given them? What's the most important thing you've done to help them in their journey as you were helped along the way too? Um, I try to just stress to them, you know, those guys are uh, very athletic and they could do their job. There's no question about that. They could play uh, anywhere in the country if they you know, need be. But um, just telling them the mental part separates them. You know, everyone's athletic at this point. Everyone's a good player. But how much you prepare mentally or how hard you outwork the person in the off season really has a true correlation to the season. In terms of the way that the program has changed, your career is interesting in that half of your career was under one coaching staff and then half is under this coaching staff. You talked about Gator Standard earlier, and that's something Dan Mullen's been really big on. What have you seen in the last two years that's brought the Gator Standard back that maybe wasn't there before? Well, one thing I could say, you know, Coach Mullen has great energy, and that man is that man is a winner. You know what I mean? He he knows what it takes to win, and he'll do anything to get to that point. And you know, I feel like speaking for most of our team, we uh, from coming from a four and seven season, we were uh, easily able to buy in because we didn't, you know, want that feeling ever again. So just from that and all the things he taught us, as far as like getting involved with other sports, uh, thanking the people and Gator Nation to fill the swamp up. And, you know, he just really tried to co- uh, change the culture. Well, part of that is, is bringing the swamp back to life. And you had a chance to play in some really exciting games in that environment. Uh, I'm curious, which ones stand out to you? If you think back, which moments do you really think about in the swamp that you got to be a part of? Tyree Cleveland's um, touchdown pass against Tennessee. Us being LSU when they were ranked number five. Um, I say Florida State this year just because we haven't beat Florida State in so long. And then um, those are the main three on top of my head right now. 
when I know it's probably easier when I talked to some of your uh, senior classmates that are receivers and said, what was your favorite moment if they could pull out, you know, one of their catches or, or a big touchdown? Do you have moments that you think about? Is there like, are there tackles that you remember or does everything just sort of blend together? A lot of tackles blend together, but I could name my uh, favorite performances that I had really. Uh, probably my favorite or one of my favorite would probably be um, LSU. My freshman year, going to LSU to go to the SU championship, I uh, started that whole game, had like 14, 13 tackles. Hmm. Uh, then I can say another one was this year, Kentucky. That was my career high in the game. I believe I had 16 that game and, you know, four down stops and we, you know, came back to win that game. And then, like, if we're talking plays, like I can say my freshman year, catching the field goal block against Alabama will always be great because, you know, as a, as a freshman, you always want to make a play against a big name school like that. Mm-hmm. In terms of, of athletes that you look up to, uh, I'm sure a couple of them are the guys we've talked about in, in Jared and Alex, but outside of that, growing up, who, who were your favorite players? Who were guys that you watched and inspired you to, to take your game to another level? Of course, Ray Lewis knows the type of guy. And you got, um, in the college days, you got uh, Bostic was a great. You got 47 from TCU. Uh, what's his name? Dawson. He was fun to watch always. Then you got Denzel Perryman guys like that what, what would you take away from those guys like what made someone stand out to you when you watched them that, that helped you in your game as well uh their instincts and their dog mentality like Denzel Perryman we all know he's not the biggest guy he's he's a little he's an undersized guy that most people might say but he he comes hard to play every day his intensity uh the way he runs to the ball and he's a violent guy so uh that's one guy that I really could relate to and you know looked up to especially watching college football and John Bossy, his intensity also. They all had great intensity, great leaders on their team and played with all their emotion on the field. You're growing up in Michigan, where where did Florida come from? I and mean, how did that become something? Was it something you always thought about or was it just a school that recruited you and, and then that became a place you wanted to go? Uh, I never really thought about it growing up. Was a huge Michigan State fan, never got that. But throughout my recruitment, I was blessed to uh, get the Michigan offer. And then I committed to Michigan for a while. And then I, I was like denied the opportunity to graduate early. And, and that was big on my list of things to do, uh, basically coming in. So um, then I decommitted from Michigan. Then I really started getting offers. Like uh, it was surprising. Um, as soon as I decommitted from Michigan, I got Texas, TCU, Florida. There's a lot of schools back to back. And it was almost crunch time. And I know I want to graduate early. So um, after that, I took all my visits. And uh, then I met Coach Shannon. You know, I talked to him on the phone before, but. You know, that guy's like the linebacker guru. He had uh, so many linebackers, you know, coach under Miami, pros, and everything like that. So um, after meeting with Coach Shannon in a relationship, I decided to take my official visit. I never camped there or anything. Took my official visit against Florida State. I was a three-star. Nobody, you know, nobody knew who I was and all that, especially from Michigan. So uh, it was kind of funny seeing all the, the big-name guys at this spot. But um, took my official visit. It was a Florida State game, man. The defense did great. And did what they were supposed to do, but you know our offense we only scored like two points that game uh, in 2016 in the swamp, and that was my official. But I love how the defense played, and I can see myself in their system. Uh, I seen Tony Morrison, another linebacker that I looked up to, uh, his intensity and how he prepared. I seen that from you know how he played, and I can see myself in him too. He he wore my high school number, and I could just see myself in the system. How different has it been relative to what you expected? Because I'm I'm sure. When you're up north, you have some idea of, of what it's like down in Florida and the sunshine and all that. But culturally, how big of a shift has it been for you over the, the course of your four years? I can really say it is what I thought it was. You know, growing up in Michigan, you always you just hear about how 
great Florida is, the weather, how the kids are just elite, and everything like that. You uh, so you know, coming in, you have a chip on your shoulder to do well. So that's what I expected. I expected kids are going to be like the elite athletes in the country. Uh, yes, they are. And then, but just knowing that, you know, if I come in, had this chip on my shoulder, play like I play, and just be me, that I'll, you know, fit in just fine. I'll be able to fight from a spot, and you know, all I ever needed was a chance. So just little stuff like that had me motivated to practice every day, giving my all. Make sure I became a starter at this university. Well, and you did that in the process. Ended up getting to play the school that you initially committed to twice. Um, how surprising was it to have multiple chances to play Michigan, and how meaningful was it to get a win over them last year in, in the Peach Bowl? I meant everything to me. It felt great, you know, just reassuring that you know I made the right choice even before the game. Even you know I knew I made the right choice, but um, it just felt good to you know beat them. I wish we would have went two and zero, but one and one is okay with me since we got the last laugh, I guess. But, you know, yeah, I don't know. It felt good, though. The whole family was there. And, you know, of course, the whole city was watching. In terms of your college career overall, and this could be on the field, off the field, everything included, what accomplishment are you most proud of? Man, graduating. Graduating with a a fairly high GPA. Uh, I got my major in um, sports management. I got my minor in business. So, you know, I got to see my moms, you know, be happy about that. And my grandma and my whole family when they came down. Uh, That was, you know one of the most exciting parts. And, you know, just also being able to play here for all four years. You know, not a lot of people get that opportunity, especially uh, from, like, Detroit. And, you know, we got more kids getting offers by the SEC now. It's just a beautiful thing. So that's what I'm proud of, like, having a good, you know, mark here at Florida. Some, uh, you know, younger kids that know, that come from the you know, same little league that I came from, that they'll be able to play here one day or, you know, get the opportunity if they work hard enough. In terms of uh, things that you've learned, I'm always curious to talk to older guys who, who have graduated and have you know kind of gone through everything. What's the most interesting class that you took during college and, and why? It was like one of my sports management classes that I took. But the most interesting part was like the connection I made after um, taking the class. They had they had like different speakers and everything come out. And, you know, one guy that I really got to relate to and I, I was hoping that he'll be a, a professor here. Uh, his name is Dr. Mark Williams, and this guy had a real impact on my life. He was one of the first ones to combine sports with, like, the rap industry and entertainment and things like that. And then he had all these athletes, artists, run DMC, basically, you know, buying apparel for Reebok and, you know, doing all that type of stuff. So uh, that connection I made, and he's been, a, like, a mentor to me, and, and I have him on Instagram and stuff, and, I, you know, we talk to each other every now and then, so... It's all about connections, right? Yeah, definitely so. <laughs> That's true no matter what you're doing. Um, what are some things you enjoy doing away from the field? Um, away from the field, I just love to be with my family and, you know, anything they want to do. Just not stay in the house. I hate to stay in the house because, you know, that's kind of boring. But I just love being around family. And if they want to do anything or if they just want to play cards and just talk and stuff like that, we can do it too. So just uh, spend time with my family. So you're with the family. You got to get out of the house. Where do you go? What, are you going to movies are you going are you going bowling like what what is the move bowling, when you want to get out uh i have a big bowling family so definitely bowling uh to the movies as well uh we got some movies fairly often I, bowling or skating one or two what, what's the best score you put up in bowling me probably like a 170 even though i know that's not high i know y'all expecting better since i go bowling but my god that actually bowled a 300 yeah really trophy. yeah he bought a 300 oh wow I was hoping you'd say at least 200 for your high score. I'm, I'm on the 200 level. I, know, I was hoping I know, you'd be know, there with me. I know. Me. <laughs> I know. That. I'm not the best. I'm not the best. Everybody around <laughs> me is better. I'm like the worst in the family. 
Um, you said you guys also might go to movies every once in a while. What is your favorite movie of all time? Remember the Titans. Yeah, I just saw, actually, I think it was yesterday that the real-life Herman Boone actually died at 84. Dang, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that. that's how I was just thinking about that. Well, I mean, there was obvious reasons, but why Why remember the Titans? Why is that stuck with you? This is like the greatest football movie of all times. And um, I love the movie and, you know, what it stood for. And it was just so powerful, especially speaking on, like, racism and things that took place during that time. But, yeah, it was just a real powerful movie. And one of the best football movies of all times also. Can't disagree with either one of those. Um, is there a hidden talent or skill that you have that most people would not guess? I'm good at chess. Yeah, I wanted to join the chess club back in middle school. I'm pretty good at chess. Do you still play now? Yeah, yeah, I still play now. Does anybody on the team play with you, or you, you got to outsource that? Nah, nobody on the team plays. <laughs> um, this is a, a question. This is a very relevant question of the, the time of the year, and. Uh, Whoever the answer is for the bad part of this, we just will tell them not to listen to this episode. But I'm curious, the best and the worst holiday gifts you've ever received. I think I had a card my uncle gave me. I used to always want money for my birthdays and everything around holiday time. And you know, he gave me a card. He said, I got uh, the card said something. It was a chicken joke. It said, yeah, and I got 50 bucks for you. Ooh. And you open the card and it was buck, 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 buck. Oh, <laughs> so that was probably the worst. And the best would probably be my car out of high school. My parents gave me a car for my birthday slash Christmas. So. so the best is a car and the worst is a card. Important difference there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One letter changes everything in that case. Yes, sir. <laughs> Final few questions for you. I want to bring things back to the bowl game and, and kind of where you guys are at preparation-wise. How does bowl prep differ from a game week during the season? It doesn't to be honest um you know we prepare like this week we prepare like we're having a game so now we're, we're prepared like we had the game already so now we're going to refresh our mind we'll get the ball time and you know that's the beautiful thing about our staff is you know we, we're preparing to win so this is not a vacation but we already we already got the hard part out the way here so now we can enjoy ourselves and get a refreshment um when we get back to Miami. there's this new phenomenon where you see guys that sit out the bowl game um, it's, it's sort of picked up in the last few years, and there's this sense of, oh, well, if it's not a playoff game, then a bowl game is meaningless. You hear people throw that word around. Uh, I'm curious for you, what does it mean to play in a game like the Orange Bowl for you and your teammates? I mean, it means everything, but, you know, just going off of that, um, you know, some players got to do what they have to do in a bowl game. If, you know, if they feel like it's their best interest, I understand. Also, you know, I don't hold it against guys, but um, I feel like, you know, if you got an opportunity to play another game of football and, if you want to win, I feel like, you know, that should mean everything to you. So I don't understand, like, if people like to lose. You know, football is a competitive sport. So if you want to be a competitor, you want to win. So at the end of the day, if you got any game, I feel like you should love the opportunity to go win, go play football again. You know, it's just a beautiful thing. So that's why we're so excited. We got another opportunity to play football, get another win. And we you know, 11 and 2 last year. We only won 10, 10 games. I was about to get 11. Hopefully next year we'll get 12. <laughs> Maybe you never know. So. That's right. Um, what stands out about this Virginia team when you look at them on tape? Their offense, very complicated offense, a lot of formations. They have a great quarterback. and I haven't really got a chance to watch their defense pretty much, but great quarterback and um, good group of wide receivers. Yeah, we talked earlier about what it means knowing that it's coming to the end for you. So I guess sort of as a final question, What's going through your mind when you think about this final opportunity to compete for this team? And how do you want Gator Nation to remember you after all is said and done? 
Um, I mean, he's everything to me. I'm happy to finish out him. You know, our state that we that we pretty much owned uh, this this year, and uh, I just want to thank Gator Nation for you know just being there to support me through my four years and knowing that it's been a great adventure and um, they've just been the most supportive people every step of the way. And I just want to tell them that I'm a part of Gator Nation always. And, you know, it's really forever Florida now, you know, always love this university. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on an incredible career. And, and we look forward to seeing what you do next. All right. No problem. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. It's Orange and Blue times two in the Orange Bowl, which kicks off Monday night at 8 on ESPN and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. We thank you so much for making 2019 the biggest year of Gator Tales ever and can't wait to join you again in 2020. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Miami.